cloud. Good afternoon. And everyone's in the afternoon time zone now, so I can say that in all honesty. Oh, yeah, but Harold's not here right now. Hopefully he'll join us soon. We are on learning Masata Brachos, Daf Bey's Amad Aleph. And here, there's an interesting tangent, which is a big topic and I know has uh, been a curiosity for many people in our shul especially over the years. And uh, it's a topic that has been on my mind for over 30 years. So I'll enjoy talking about it and hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. The <clears throat> Gemara that we were learning here in Brachos makes reference to a later Mishnah. That later Mishnah says, In the morning, the way Shema works is we make two brachos before the Shema and one bracha after the Shema. And for the evening Shema, we make two brachos before and two brachos afterwards. So you're familiar with the Siddur. These are not short brachos. They're the rather lengthy in the morning, the one that starts Baruch right after Baruch right? Baruch HaTashem And that's a rather lengthy bracha, even though Sidurim divided into paragraphs, it's all one, a single bracha that ends with the words Baruch HaTashem Yotzer HaMeoros. Then you have the second bracha, which Ashkenazim say Ahavaraba. Svard says, Ahavas Olam, and then add the bracha after is, is what concludes Ga'al Yisrael. In the evening, you open up a Mariv, a Siddur, you see Mariv Aravim, Ohevamo Yisrael, Ga'al Yisrael, and Hashkivenu. Those are the two afterwards. So we're familiar with this. Well, now, I, when we first learned this, I made reference to what Tosos is going to mention now, but I just alluded to it very briefly. I didn't want to get into it. The truth is we don't have to get into it for a few pages, except that Tosus wants to get into it right now. <laughs> like he wants to talk about this. He doesn't want to let this go, which I have always found interesting. And I'll first tell you in the model of what we started when we started as Shir, I said the best, the healthiest way to think of learning Gemara or Gemara Rashi Tosos, or Gemara Rashi Tosos, Rambam Halak, Mishabrura, whenever anyone is involved in the act of Limud HaTorah, the best way to think about it is as a conversation. It's a conversation. The conversation starts with Hashem speaking, but then he invites us to join in on the conversation as well, and then the conversation continues for many generations. Now, anyone who has had a conversation knows that conversations naturally go on tangents. And there's nothing to get upset about. That's just the way people are. Their memories are triggered. Oh, you said this, it makes me think of that. This is the reason why, and I'm gonna give you a big clue right now for all of your learning in all the years to come, which is that whenever Rashi says, usually he says this when he comments on a Mishnah, and he says, Gemara Mefaresh, or as the Gemara explains, the Gemara will explain later. Later, this will be explained in the Gemara. 
Already 700 years ago, rabbis were asking, why is Rashi saying that? What is he adding to the conversation when he says, I'll explain it later? Or the Gemara will explain it later. So again, going back to the 1400s, there are rabbis who said, there is a very important reason Rashi is saying that. Because Rashi wants you to understand the Mishnah and the Gemara in progress. And if something is bothering you, Rashi wants to explain it. So it may, he makes it easier for you. If there is something that is so disturbing that you feel you can't go on, so that you in effect have to stop the person and say, excuse me, I don't know what you're talking about. Rashi then comes in and says, don't worry about it. I know you don't understand what he just said. Put a pin in it and wait, we'll explain it later. So that, for example, and this is an example that Noah Weinberg used to give. He liked, I mean, it's a funny word. He said, if a person asks you to go to the store and look for a bafoof stick, and you say, what's a bafoof stick? So now that's part of Rimnoach's story is that he just made up a word. Imagine if you were to stop Rimnoach in mid story and say, wait a second, Rabbi, what does that word mean? And he would say, let me finish the story. Meaning that's part of the drama that's unfolding of me telling the story is that I know you don't know what that word means right now. Wait for the punchline. <clears throat> so that is in effect what Rashi does. He wants you to go with the flow. And every time Rashi says, it will be explained later in the Gemara, he's in effect giving you a speech. The speech In the speech he is saying, I know you don't understand what just happened in the Gemara. And you, you feel that because you don't understand what this means, you can't go on until you understand it. I'm telling you, wait and you'll get your fulfillment later because the, this is how the Gemara is unfolding. So if this is how Rashi works, then very often Tosos actually works almost in the reverse. Meaning if Rashi is a line, imagine drawing the line, right? Point A to point B. Rashi wants you take, to take you on that road from point A to point B then Tosos is showing you that the Gemara is actually a web, you know, like imagine a spider web, meaning everything being interconnected. So one of the enjoyments I've had and I'm trying to convey in, in this uh, Lunch and Learn in this year is to convey the, the, the Tosos piece of it, something which is often missed in many of the Gemara Shiurim and Gemara Chavrusas that are arranged, for example, by the kolel or whenever you have different kolels that have learning and they usually leave Tosos out except to maybe shed light on a straightforward point. But I want to show you how Tosos is not straightforward, how he's really trying to bring it all in uh, at once. A friend of mine in Newport News once said that the Gemara was the first internet. Right, because it, meaning it's an idea like, okay, here's this text and look how it connects to this and it connects to that. So if, if Gemara is the first internet, then Tosos invented with the hyperlink, the idea that you could just click on a word and it takes you right to the other site. So over here, this is what Tosos is going to do here. I haven't even started the Tosos yet, but I'm just sort of giving you the background. This is what Tosos is going to get into. 
So if you take a look, one, two, three, it is, if you're following the flow of the Gemara, this is the, or rather the Tosos, one, two, this is the third Tosos on the page, the third from the bottom, or the fourth, sorry, the fourth, the second from the bottom, Mivarech Stein Lifaneha. The big word, the big Tosos word there is Mivarech. Okay? Four lines from the bottom of the Tosos lines. Right? The Mivarech Stein Lifaneha. Make two brachos before, Cholo, etc. So, first thing Tosos does is, and he has done this already, Rashi has done this already once, which is, he says, this is, he's about to tell you a Yerushalmi. A Gemara Yerushalmi. As today, the Yerushalmi Gemara was not as well publicized and was not as well known as the Bavli. So anytime a Rishon could tell you, could shed light on something by quoting the Yerushalmi, he would do so. So in fact, just to mention if anyone's interested, our scroll has just finished their translation of the Talmud Yerushalmi. Unlike the Ars Scroll Bavli, which is that burgundy cover, the Yerushalmi, had, they have a green cover, and uh, they've just finished, and it's quite an accomplishment. But for many centuries, Yerushalmi was the ignored part, is a much, much part of Tosh but simply was not as well known because the Bavli sort of took over. But even though the Bavli took over, there are things that are said in the Yerushalmi that did not make it to the Bavli. So that's when it's helpful for Rashi or Tosos to tell you what those things are. So here Tosos says, the Yerushalmi says, V'sheva brachos heve keneged sheva beyom hilal ticha. The seven brachos that are said are, they are, they represent or they are the equivalent of the Pasuk that is in Tehillim. Sheva beyom hilal ticha which is the first half of a Pasuk that says, seven times a day I praise you over your, your righteous laws. So what, is, what does he mean by seven? When do we say, when do we praise Hashem seven times a day? We don't do that. I mean, Shemon has 18 brachos, 19 brachos, you know, but what's seven times a day? We, on, during Shabbos, the Amida has seven brachos. But when do otherwise every day do we praise Hashem seven times a day? So Tosa says, the Yerushalmi says, the seven times a day that we praise Hashem are the seven birchos kriyashma. Three in the morning, four in the evening. That's seven. And how are we praising Hashem over his righteous laws? Because the kriyashma isn't just a reference to the Shema itself. It says, that you should teach these to your children and you should speak of them. So the idea of, of highlighting the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is part and parcel of Shema. So praising Hashem for his Torah is in effect part of the theme of Birchos Kriyashma. Obviously Birchos Kriyashma speaks of many things, but it speaks of Hashem giving the Torah to the Jewish people, loving the Jewish people. So, that is a reference to Birchos Kriyashma. And therefore, what he's saying is, and I'm going to build up leading up to Tosas' next line, it's specifically seven brachos. Meaning, let me put it this way. 
Imagine someone says, if you like Birchos Kriyashma, then let me enhance it. I'll make Birchos Kriyashma even better. Let's add a few brachos. Let's add content. So Tosus is saying, no. Seven brachos a day are part of Birchos Kriyashma. Not just because there happened to be three in the morning and there happened to be four at night, but they were looking to create a seven bracha structure. Three in the morning, four at night, but we were looking to fulfill this idea of seven brachos a day. So that's the significance of the seven birchos kriyashma. Okay? So now, having said that, Tosos now asks a question. He says, But this principle of counting these seven brachos does not count the bracha called Yiru Einenu, which is what we would call from the Ashkenazi Siddur, Baruch Hashem La'olam. Baruch Hashem La'olam, Amen, Amen. That whole long thing. Then you turn the page using the Art Scroll Siddur, and at the top of the page it says Yiru Einenu, and then it ends with that bracha, and that's what leads in an Ashkenazi shul to the half Kaddish, right? So Tosos is saying, let me, I'll, re I'll paraphrase what Tosos is asking. Tosos just said, listen, everybody, I've got news for you. When that Mishnah later in Brachos said that in the morning it's two Brachos before, one Bracha after, and in the evening it's two Brachos before and two Brachos after, this is part of a unit. Don't just see one as being about chakras and the other one is another conversation about Marev. There's a unit. This is a unit called Sheva Bayom Hilal Ticha. Appreciate it like that. And it's seven. It's not six. It's not eight. It's seven. Right? Everybody knows. We like the number seven. So here's, I'm inserting Tosis's question. Uh, it's eight, Rabbi. <laughs> right? Meaning do the math. In the morning, it's two brachos before, one bracha after. And I, I go to shul for Ma'ariv. At Ma'ariv, it's two brachos before and three brachos after. That's a total of eight. What are you telling me seven? <clears throat> so Tosus is basically saying that third bracha doesn't count. Now, why doesn't it count? So here Tosus gets into an explanation. And let's go back inside here. Dehahi bracha, that bracha, what he's calling Yiru Einenu. Okay. Hold on a second. That bracha of Yiru Einenu, Tiknu Rabbanan, the rabbis instituted that bracha. Kedei lahamtin lachavarehem bebeisakneses. So that they should wait for their friends who are in shul. So what does he mean? So he's going to explain. Let's go on. This is a reference specifically to their shuls, T-H-E-I-R, to their shuls. Their shuls were out in the field. And they were dangerous. It was dangerous because of Mazikin. Now, Mazikin, based on the Gemara that's in a few pages, 
could be a reference to spiritual forces, or you could argue historically, it's a reference to real people, dangerous people who are out there in the fields and therefore we're at risk. So if you had one guy, you know that guy, every show has that guy. Davin Shmonesre, like there's no tomorrow. A really nice long Shmonesre with a lot of Kavana, but it's not like nowadays, okay, so you have Kavana, good, congratulations. Then it was, you have Kavana and you're gonna be the last one in Shul and everyone left and what, you're gonna now go home in the dark by yourself in, in this dangerous neighborhood or in the field where there are mazikin, both physical and metaphysical mazikin, who could cause you trouble. So those shuls were dangerous. Aval, and now here's a problematic phrase in Tosos here. Anyone who has that article Tosos, I'd love to hear what you have to say here. Aval the bate knesios shalanu, but in our shuls, ain't strikin lahamtin lachavrehen, elabalayla. In our shuls, you don't really have to wait if someone's stuck there at night in shul, except if it's night. Of course it's night. We're talking about night. Night, night. night, night as opposed to tosos night. <laughs> what do I mean by tosos night? Well, you remember the first tosos? <clears throat> he justified davening my an hour before sunset. So, that, okay, that's not so nighty night. You know, that's... Uh, Halachic night, but it's not so scary, right? When we're going to start to dive in Marev, you know, once we get into April and we start to dive in Marev early, so Friday night, you're welcome from Shul. Not the end of the world, you know, it's, the sun is still out. So Tosos here seems to be saying, meaning just this Tosos right now, he seems to be making the argument that the whole institution of that final bracha before uh, we start Shemonesra at night, was something that applied to their shuls back in the day when they were afraid. <clears throat> no, not Hashkivenu, the bracha Baruch Hashem La'olam. Baruch Hashem La'olam that ends with that paragraph, because uh, we'll speak about Baruch Hashem La'olam is the first of 18 or 19 psukim. That's Baruch this, Baruch that. According to some, that was actually a substitute for Shmanasre, which we'll see soon. Yeah, that's what our source Right. But Yirenein was not part of that. You see, if it was just the Psukim, according to this Tosos right now, Tosos wouldn't even have opened, opened his mouth. Is this why in Israel they opened it? Or this is, this is the topic of today's year. The whole Israel thing, and people are familiar with, exactly right. This is, Tosos is saying right now, that was a problem then. Now it's only a problem at night night. And he almost seems to be saying, he's not saying it, but I'll say almost seems to be saying, you don't even have to say it nowadays because that was then, this is now. Okay, he says there. I'm not He's saying they, their thing and that. Uh, yes. What, who is he talking about? Or what time frame? So one thing is clear. That's a very good question. When's then? If I say that was then, this is now. When is then? So here's one thing I have to say. Then does not mean the times of the Gemara. 
because the Gemara doesn't mention that bracha at all. That bracha does not exist in the universe of the, of the Gemara. It's not brought up, not once. So are you perhaps talking about some later time and the post-Gemara pre-Tosos? So after the year 500, before the year 1100. At some point, so we would attribute that to the Gaonim, perhaps. That the times of the Gaonim, that's between 500 and 1,000. That era, somebody, he doesn't say who, somebody instituted that bracha. And this is when they were in the field. Oh, oh, yes. If this is the, if I understood it right, I've heard variations on this, but I'll just tell you what I seem to be hearing now. Yeah. This is instituted because there's people saying there's Shimon Esrei, and they will be very slow and conscientious, and it would take a long time, whatever, and no finish, and everybody else would have gone. How does Lolan, which is before Shimon Esrei, help you? So I think, I don't know if people who are listening online can hear what Ricky just asked, but I'll, I'll repeat. Yes, we heard it. We heard it? Okay, good. So how does this help? I think the way it helped was that the guy who davens along Shmon Esrei is not who we're worried about. <laughs> worried about the guy who's davening along Shma. <laughs> Meaning his Shmon Esrei is not the issue so much. The issue is they say Baruch Hu. He starts saying Shema. By the time he's done with those brachos and Shema, everyone else has finished Shema and has moved on. And they're saying Emes Vemuna. They're saying Hashkiveinu. His, he's still going on. He's still in the middle of Shema, or maybe he just finished Shema by the time they're at Hashkiveinu. You can picture this a few minutes off. So he wants to daven Shmon Esrei. This is usually how we would say it. He wants to say Shmon Esrei in Shul. So by the time he's done with Hashkiveinu, they're already saying Shmon Esrei. Or they're already done with that third bracha, the bracha Shem La'olam. That then puts him in sync with the rest of them so he can daven Shmon Esrei with them. That's how I understand the phenomenon. And then he, good, good, he omits Baruch Hashem La'olam and Yiru Einenu. He doesn't say it. Because he's just saying, Baruch Hashem La'olam and Yiru Einenu is not for me. It was meant for you speedsters. Right? You're the guys. So it's just to give you an extra page of stuff to say so that I can catch up with you. But I, you know, I'm not supposed to say, I daven with Kavana. I daven slowly. So I'll skip that so I can make it, so I can be on time with the rest of you. That's how I'm imagining uh, that scenario. Okay, Martin, you're gonna say? Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> so when you've got a colo where everyone is saying there's slowly and everything, right? they should skip that whole thing because all it's gonna do is make the situation worse. Because now they're saying Baraklo <laughs> and taking their time, right? It's like a bell curve. So, there's always right. someone who's slower. It, it, wherever right. you are, there's always someone who's slower. Remember when I was in Newport News, there was someone who was in the shul 
who, whatever, try to imagine this hypothetical scenario. Someone who's a real Balmach locus. Uh, somehow a fight would always come up uh, shul at a board meeting. It was always a very tense time. So somebody said, oh, I wish that person would just leave. So there's always so much fighting because of that person. So I said, it's not going to help because life is a bell curve. There's always somebody on the, you know, on, on the other end of things. There, every show has the fastest davener. Every show has the slowest davener. Every show has the average davener. It's like, this is the breakdown. You know, there's a story told about the Chazonish. I just mentioned this. It's a true story. You can imagine. Chazonish died in 1953. So we're talking about from 48 to 53, where you had the state of Israel, and the state of Israel had borders, but the borders, as people know, there were many tragic terrorist attacks and things that occurred both from the Egyptian side of the border, but also from the other side, from, from Jordan and Syria. So there were attacks. So somebody, there was somebody who lived in one of these communities that was on the border. So they asked, they came in, and there, apparently there were a number of attacks coming in from wherever this town was. The person asked the Chazonish, should I can I move? I, I really want to leave because uh, I don't feel like this is a safe community. Schazenish is reported to have said, if you leave, then all it's going to do is move the border further in. Meaning you're not helping the attacks at the border, you're just moving the border, you know, which is a very interesting geopolitical uh, insight, especially uh, these last few weeks. So there's always a border. So you're always going to have someone davening slower. So, you know, who's good. Someone's always going to need that Baruch Hashem Olam, <laughs> you know, to, uh, if he wants to leave Anshul with, uh, with everyone else. But in this Tosos, at least, he seems to be allowing for room for a person, for a shul, not just a person. That's what I wanted to get to. He seems to be allowing for a shul not saying it, at least if they daven Mariv early, as Tosus himself says was the minhag where they were living, right, in northern France. So only the shuls that daven Mariv at night, night, they, would, they should still say it. But other people maybe should not. So what I'm going to do now and uh, even though we're on this page, but we are going to take a, a, a cue from Rabbi Kiva Eger. They might say, where's Rabbi Kiva Eger? Rabbi Kiva Eger is on the page. In yeshiva, he was known as the baseball. What is the baseball? So if you take a look at Tosas over here, on, right next to the word Tiknu Rabbanon, the Rabbanon, there's an interesting footnote marker Granted, it might not look so much like a baseball to you and me, but it has the. But in yeshiva, we always thought it looked like a baseball. The baseball footnote marker sends you to literally, these were little notes that were written by Rabbi Kiveger. Rabbi Kiveger lived, he was a Rav in Posen, which then was Germany, now is Posen in, uh, in Poland. <clears throat> and he died, just to give you a context, how, where this conversation is taking us. He died in 1837. So we're close to, right, 190, 185 years ago he passed away. 
1837, which is when he died, but he was the Godolador, he was the man on Gemara, person that Shilas to in all of Europe at the time. And he wrote notes on the Gemara. In my Gemara, the name of his notes to Shas is called Gilion Hashas. Gilion Hashas is on a different place on any given page of Gemara, just depends on where the publisher could find room on the page. On Daf Beis Amid Aleph, he's all the way at the bottom, at least of my edition. On some art, editions, the art scroll, it's, uh, our scroll, it's on the inner column. Inner column. Okay. But it's not the first note, it is the second note. You don't have it? Yeah, it could be since you know it doesn't have it. The Tosos Mivarech, he quotes Kedel Lahamdin Lachabareim, Kulu, Ayin Tosos, the Kaman Daf, Dalid Amud Beis. He says, take a look at another Tosos. On the Dalid Amud Beis, Divra Maschil De Ari, and we're going to turn. When you turn into the page, you'll see what he means by there. Dalid Amud Beis means page eight, and it's the second Tosos on that page. So we're taking a trip over here. You have it, De Amar Rabbi Yochanan. That's what De Ari means. It's an abbreviated. Because he was just writing notes. So he everything that, that we gave was writing was in abbreviated form. So Tosso says, so let's jump to page eight, the second Tosso is there, Dalit Ahmed Beis. Who is someone who is a Ben Olam Haba, who inherits the next world? So the Gemara says, that is a reference to someone who is Somech Geula Litfila, meaning he puts his bracha Gal Yisrael right before he davens the nighttime Shmona Esrei. So the Gemara asked, we need a little context here before we jump into the Tosos. The Gemara said, but we don't do that. We say Hashkivenu. So we're not saying Gal Yisrael right before Shmona Esrei at night. So the Gemara said, that's heavy Geula Arichta. It's like an extended geula. Yes, you're saying Gal Yisrael, but Hashkivenu is saying, Hashem, please extend your redemptive, your redemption of the Jewish people to, to save us from the terrors of the night and so that we can go to sleep well. That's how I'm interpreting based on something Rabbi Moshe Berger once told me, meaning that's the approach. Gal Yisrael, Hashkivenu. Hashkivenu is an extended geula. Geula arichta. So Tosos here, this is Dalit Ahmed Beis, is saying, well, let's say if we can stretch that taffy a little more, because we're not just saying Hashkivenu, we're saying Baruch Hashem La'olam, and how do you explain that one? So now take a look at that Tosos over here. The Amar Biyochan, What about us? We're saying this Yiru business. We're saying all these other verses. So before I get to Tosos's answer, I just want to appreciate the question he has, which is that Tosos has had to not only once, which is where we are in Davbeis, but now twice on Davdalad, justify this minhag of saying this bracha that is violating the Gemara everywhere he turns. <laughs> Meaning, he starts the Gemara saying, look, two brachas before, two brachas after. So if you wanted to add a third for some reason, would there be any harm in that? No, 
it's just another bracha after all. We daven Shmonesre after that. However, Tosa says, but there's this Yerushalmi. And the Yerushalmi says there can only be, there should only be seven birchos kriyashma. So that forces Tosus's hand. He says, if there should only be seven, then why are we saying an eighth one at night? So he had to say that eighth one, yes, it's a bracha after Shmona Esrei, but it's not, I'm sorry, um, a bracha of Kriyashma. It's a bracha after Kriyashma, but it is not one of the birchos Kriyashma. It's there for another reason. It's not related to Kriyashma. So don't worry about it. Just like imagine if you're done with Mariv and then you, you drank a cup of water. Would I say, hey, you're not allowed to drink water. It says you can only praise Hashem seven times a day. I would say, no, seven times a day has to do with Shema. I'm allowed to make other brachos. I can say Shema Esrei. I can do other brachos. It just means Virchos Kriyashma seven times a day. But this bracha of Yireneinu, that's something else. So I say, okay, good Tosos, you explain yourself. But then he comes back to it on Daladam and Bays. He's saying there's another problem. The problem is the rabbis, at least Rabbi Yochanan, and we him like him, they want Birchos Kriyashma to lead directly into Shmona Esrei. So what are we doing? We're ruining it again because we're, we're allowing for this massive interruption between Gaal Yisrael and you want to throw Hashkivenu in? Fine, the Gemara threw Hashkivenu in. But just because the Gemara threw Hashkivenu in, that means I should throw everything, including the kitchen sink? Like, it should stop there. So here, Tosos defends the practice again. Let's go back inside. Nira, it seems, Tosos says, since the rabbis are the ones who instituted this, this rule, meaning to say this bracha, Phrase a little differently here. I'll translate. He says, since the rabbis instituted, it's like a geula richta, an extended form of goal Yisrael. Why? Because they instituted saying this, these psukim and that bracha. Notice that now, and this is a very important point. Before, Tosus did not mention the psukim. He just mentioned the bracha of Yeruei Neinu, right? Go back to Be'ez there. Tosus clearly said, how are we saying Yeruei Neinu? So he gave his explanation there. Now, Tosus says, how are we saying Yiruei Neinu and the other Psukim? Why is he mentioning the other Psukim now? Because on Be'ezum and Aleph, Tosus's only problem was that it was a bracha, meaning there was an instituted bracha made after the two brachas of Kriyashma. Gal Yisrael Hashkivenu, and now a third bracha, Yiruei Neinu. Now, meaning... Now we've jumped to Daladam and Bays. Tosus is not only troubled by a bracha, it's not the bracha that's bothering him, it's the smicha that has been broken. It's no longer adjacent. For that, it's not only the bracha, the fact that you're saying 18 psukim is just as much of a problem. You're interrupting. I'm in the middle here. I said, 
Rabbi Yochanan wants me to jump right into Shmonesre. All of a sudden says, no, 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 say this page first. I was like, you just broke my flow. You know, by, so that's why Tosas mentioned, I just want to show you to appreciate the way Tosas expresses his objection. Even though it seems to be saying the same thing, it's not the same thing. The objection on that base is about a bracha. It's more than seven brachos. The objection over here is the hepsik. That's what he's objecting to over here. Okay, so going, coming back to Tosos here. It says like a gula richta. Through this, then your friend will also be davening. And he will not leave shul until each person finishes his davening. By the way, which is something that the Gemara mentions very critically, I think on the, yeah, the Gemara, and there's another Tosas there, where the Gemara speaks very strongly and condemns people who leave Shul while someone is left there alone to daven. It says that Hashem just takes your prayer and just tears it up. Like uses some very harsh language. So it's not just, the rabbis aren't just doing social engineering. Like, you know, safety. So just like we give people uh, fluorescent belts to wear home. So we'll institute a, uh, you know, a bracha for iru e Are you is, saying that if they leave one individual left behind? Or if somebody were to be number 10 and he left and he only left nine? No, no, um, leaving one individual. Okay. Yeah, seems to be talking there. The example the Gemara gives on Hayom and Beis, if you want to take it at the very bottom of 5b, if you want to just read it, we'll get to it eventually, is that it sounds like you're just leaving an individual in Shul to yeah. and by himself. So it's the same issue. It's not like 10 and you left the you left only nine, so the Shekhinah. He's talking about just leaving one. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. So this could be, this is a fair argument. How, how to understand this. We'll see. Tosas addresses this on Vava Maral. So I'm just showing you how many pieces, uh, you know, moving pieces here are connected here. There's a lot going on. So that, that's just Sorry, Ricky. Some of the reasoning is Bame Madlikin is suggested as one of the ways that this is done on Friday night. Of course, how Friday night factors into this is a little different because we know we just have a shamru or, you know, on a yontif, we just have that single line by Daber Moshe. So that, that hardly helps the slow daven. So the issue is on Shabbos, there wasn't as much of a risk involved because people weren't going out. The theory is people were not davening in the fields on Friday night the way they were on, uh, on, on the, during the week. Which leads to an interesting minhag, which I'll just throw in since you mentioned it. Nusach Sfarv, okay, not Nusach Ari, Nusach Sfarv, like your non Lubavitch Hasidish Shuls. They say Baruch Hashem Olam, meaning uh, as part of their weekday davening. They do not say Baruch Hashem Olam on Saturday night. If you daven in a Nusach Sfarv, many most Nusach Sfarv Shuls, like here we have the Shtibel, for example. I, I haven't davened Moshe uh, Shabbos. Shtibel is now Ashkenaz. No. Kolo. Rabbi Katz? 
No, no, not the Rabbi Katz. Oh. Rabbi Katz is the Kolo. I mean, Zichron Chaim. Oh, 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 yes. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know, but I know many. If you take a look at the, I know for a fact, the art scroll, Nusach Sfard Sitter, the bilingual Nusach Sfard Sitter, there's a note before Baruch Hashem Olam where they say that most Sfard congregations do not say this on Matzei Shabbos or Matzei Yom Tif. And the, the logic is, I don't know who came up with this particular point, but the logic was that since they weren't davening in the fields, since they were in town, staying inside the community for Shabbos, so that just like Tosa sort of said that was in those days, but so they say if you're davening in a place that is uh, where there's no risk, Anyway, so there's more to say on that, but I, I'll get into the different minhagim, you know, when we conclude this point. I just want to do a little more here on the Tosos. So if, if I were creating such a such circumstance, right, I, I would have put Baruch Shem Olam yeah. after Shimon Esrei. The problem, Martin, is that you're at Tzaddik. <laughs> and I'll tell you why that kind of takana would not work because they people understood <laughs> what people I'll, would leave. People would leave. Yeah. You can't hold people or you have to realize that when people are done with Shmanesre, they'll walk if they want to. By the way, this is one of the reasons why meaning the, the primacy of Shmona Esre as part of our davening explains why when we have Kriya Satora, for example, tomorrow's Tainus Esther. Tainus Esther in the morning is Shmona Esre, and then we have Kriya Satora, right? At Mincha, we'll first have Kriya Satora, and then Shmona Esre. Why did they do that? So not only, so people, they'll come, but also realizing you have people who are just going to come for Shmona Esre, or people who show up late, so at least let them have their Shmona Esrei if they show up late to Mincha. Meaning if you were to structure Shmona Esrei and then Kriya Satora, you might have people show up late and then they miss their Shmona Esrei. That's no good. Or hear Shmona Esrei and then leave. Now you could leave in the morning as well, but they understand the nature of the relationship between Shmona Esrei and going to work. Meaning people are going to stick around for Shmonesre and then go to work. Or at the end of the day, which is when Mincha often is, they're at work and then they go to Shul for Shmonesre. So they want to be able to catch the part that matters, meaning that matters most to them. So I think what Martin has is, well, why didn't they just say Baruch Hashem Olam as some like lengthy super Elenu? At the end, because people would leave. <laughs> like, it's as simple as that. People would just, uh, would walk out. I remember in, when I was in Israel, I was learning in Shiva in Israel, my apartment was right next to the Bukharin Shul. And the Bukharin Shul had multiple minyanim. It was like, I forgot, I don't know what the official formal name of it was, but we called it Bukharin Shtiblach. Because it was like just one Sephardi minyan, like after another, in the morning and both in the afternoon. And people know, I was talking with Jason about this a few months ago, that they don't have anything 
they don't have a Kaddish after Aleinu at the end of their davening. I don't know if this is true of all Sephardim, but at least the Bukharan community that ran that shul, there was a Kaddish before, they say a lot of extra stuff. After Shmoneser is over, they say another chapter of Tehillim, there's another Kaddish, but Aleinu is the end. Meaning there's no Kaddish after Aleinu. So as a result, when did I first realize this? When I daven Marv there one evening, and I noticed as people were saying Aleinu, they were all walking out as they were saying Aleinu. You know, it's like Aleinu as they're packing their bag and then, or whatever, and then they're leaving. So by the time Aleinu was over, did you have a minion in the room? Probably because it's a big community, but you know, it was the kind of thing where you might not have, you might not have a minion at the end because you don't need a minion at the end. So people can be on their way out as they are uh, saying Elena. So I think that's why, Mark. I have have a question. So when the conservative movement started, did they use this type of theories to minimize whatever they do and whatever they do? Is any of that came into the place? So I don't know if the conservative movement's prayer book includes Yiru Einenu. I, you know, I don't know about that specific example, but they, that they found ways of making everything shorter, both for um, uh, not logistical, both for ideological reasons and just to make davening, you know, shorter. You know, so they make it shorter. Someone in the community once showed me a Haggadah that they had. But the Haggadah was from a previous life, as we would say. And they wanted to know, can they use, they had, they bought this sitter, this Haggadah, you know, 40 years ago or 30 years ago. And they wanted to know if they can, if it's a kosher uh, Haggadah. Not Megillah, did I say Megillah? I mean Haggadah. They wanted to know if it was a kosher Haggadah. So I said, okay, let me take a look. So as I start to flip the pages, and I'm looking at the time, so this will close. Um, I'm flipping the pages. It seems fine. You know, like I wasn't, I didn't like take it and look at it word for word. My, my first was just a perusal of it, just like sort of flipping the pages. And as I first started flipping pages, it seemed fine. Okay, Manishtana, Avadim Hayinu, and everything seems fine. And then something grabs my eye. And I'm like, what just happened? Everything seemed fine. And then I realized what caught my eye. Dayenu caught my eye. What caught me? Well, you expect Dayenu, we all know, whether you sing, say, the word Dayenu 100 times or not, it takes up room on the page. And then I was looking at the size of the font and everything. The Dayenu seemed to be over a lot more quickly than I remember. Usually on a nice Haggadah with artwork and whatever, Dayenu takes about two pages. And yet over here, Dayenu was done in a page. So I was like, whoa, what happened? I just left Dayenu. I looked and I saw that they had eliminated three or four of the clauses from Dayenu. I'm sure everything else would have been enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so it turned out, very good, that it was not enough. <laughs> And why was it not enough? So I'm picking out, like, who has a problem with Dayenu? Oh, I saw what their problem was with Dayenu. 
They took all the punished the Egyptian Hashem punished the Egyptian stuff out of Dayenu. So they were fine with Iluilu Hotsianu, Hotsianu Mimitzrayim. That's fine. But then they didn't like the Haragas Becharehem, right? He killed their firstborn. They didn't like, they, they were fine with the fact that we got across the Red Sea, but they weren't fine with the fact that they drowned the our oppressors in it, because you know, lucky dovey, you know, kumbaya. So they, so they removed the, the, those three or four clauses out, and you can imagine the newer progressive uh, Haggadahs would have taken out, and they took us into Eretz Yisrael because you know you don't want to dispossess anyone. So uh, you, you can just imagine. But they took those three or four clauses out, and uh, that's they shortened it. So what were they doing? They weren't taking it out because look, people want to eat. That's not what they're worried about. There was an ideological reason that they had that they wanted to, they were upset with, you know, the hashkafa of Hashem telling Avram Avinu that he's going to punish the Egyptians. So they took those things out. So, you know, to wrap up by answering your question, Jack, sometimes they might say that the issue is uh, uh, an issue of length or abridging or a logistical reason, like maybe they could quote that Tosos on that base and say, oh, well, our schools are safe nowadays. We have added security measures. We have bright lights in our parking lot, you know, so we don't have to, uh, we don't have to worry about security anymore. So we, we can take out Yeru or, you know, something like that. But the truth is many of the omissions of the past century or two have to do with Hashkafa, with ideology, and not uh, not mere convenience. Of course, each example is different. What? PC. Oh right, yeah, exactly. Uh, whatever the co correct ideology of uh, of the day is, which is why, by the way, just davening is so precious, is because it's not just a matter of my imposing my view of what's correct on the sitter. It's I want the sitter to educate me on what is the correct uh, point of view, how to look at life. All right, I didn't get anywhere near as much as I want to do, but which is fine, because like I said, this is a conversation and we have more time and we'll expand on this next week. Thank you all for coming and I will stop the recording. Thank you very much.